Hey, GB, I have a question for you. I have no idea what you're going to ask me. <laughs> Rightfully so. Can you imagine being 16, 17 years old and wanting to move to a different country, not speaking the language? Um, <laughs> Would it have crossed your mind? No, that was not on my radar. I was more uh, thinking about, will I be able to get my driver's license? Exactly. For me, going to the mall, driving to the mall was important. <laughs> yes. Why do you ask? Because our guest did just that. Today's guest is Valerie Cockrell, former Disney leader in retail and merchandise, and she's going to tell us all about the importance of relationships and leadership. And she's going to show us how to be a troublemaker who takes some risks. Big risks. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Welcome. I'm your host, JB Adams. And I'm your host, Rebecca Morgan. In this series, we bring you conversations with experienced leaders. Because a leader is anyone who influences change, we want to understand not just what leaders do, but who they are and how they can be effective in a rapidly changing world. We hope you'll learn some things about our guests, about our topic, and also about yourself. This is Leadership Life Stories. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. We'll be right back after this important message. Well, hi there, listeners. It's Rebecca Morgan. If you told my younger self you are going to love talking about leadership, and when you grow up, you will lead hundreds and develop thousands of managers and leaders and create great places to work, I would have laughed at the idea because I was focused on becoming a dolphin trainer. Yeah, while I still love dolphins, what I really love to do is leadership development. So much so that I created the Awesome Leader League, the ultimate collection of people-centered leadership skills to help you be a better leader. If you're looking for ways to become more confident and an effective people-centered leader that people will trip over their own feet to follow, this is your resource. And did I mention we do it in 20 minutes or less? Join us now at theawesomeleaderleague.com. Welcome to Leadership Life Stories. I'm JB Adams and my co-host is Rebecca Morgan. This season of Leadership Life Stories is devoted to examining Disney leadership as the Walt Disney World Resort celebrates its 50th anniversary. Today's guest is Valerie Cockrell. She is a native of France. Her Disney career started with a fellowship at Epcot's World Showcase, and from there she moved into leadership roles in retail and merchandise at Disneyland Paris, the Walt Disney World Resort, and Disney Cruise Line. And along with her husband Dan, she currently serves as one of the partners leading Cockrell Consulting, a firm which provides training, consulting, and coaching to help leaders and organizations build a great culture and deliver outstanding customer service. In this segment, you'll hear Valerie Cockrell describe her leadership philosophy, why Disney leadership is a big deal, and what she learned from one of her Disney leadership role models. Valerie Cockrell, welcome to the show. Well, hi, Rebecca. Hello, JV. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. So are we. So are we. Okay. So I want to start off this first segment by asking you, Valerie, what is your leadership philosophy? For me, it boils down to one basic thing, and that is your ability to forge relationship with people. Because as a leader, you need to influence them. You need to rally them around a project, an idea. And if you can't forge relationship, if you don't have that talent, it doesn't matter if you're super creative or super strategic, or you have this, you know, you're the most visionary person in the world. 
if you can't connect with people and sell your idea and sell your project, you know, not, not much going to come out of it. So I think it really boils down to this. You, you're only as good as the people that, that support you and help you in your, in your project and your, whatever your endeavor is, whatever your project is. So that's the essential ingredient for me. Right. Valerie, I have a follow-up. Your philosophy sounds like common sense, build relationships, but there are many people in leadership roles or aspiring leaders who don't quite have this message yet. Why do you think some leaders get this wrong? I don't think people people get it wrong. I, I think people understand it. They know it. They just don't like it. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is it is hard. Leadership is really hard. And I think most people understand that it comes down to very basic common sense practices, but they're hoping that there is this magical formula, this easy thing down the road that you could do. This is real basic things, but people just realize how hard it is and they, they wish there was something else. So it just, you know, not, not wanted to apply and apply themselves and put in the effort to really work on this relationship because a lot of people don't understand it's a long-term investment, right? Mm -hmm. It's not something that is immediate and it takes a long time to cultivate, to nurture it. And that's why they don't like that answer. <laughs> Yeah, there really is no shortcut. You have to do the hard work of leadership. It takes time. So Valerie, you know what? We have some skeptics out there who might be thinking that this is no big deal. So what? You were a leader at a theme park. You worked in the leisure and entertainment industry. Is it a big deal? Well, I think it's a big deal in the sense that Disney is the biggest entertainment company in the world and runs the biggest parks in the world and has an incredible uh, product has an incredible audience. The, the operation is very complex. So in that respect, I think, yes, it is a big deal when you can contribute to that, even just a little bit, it's, it's great. At least it was for me a, a big deal. Um, now I probably want to temper this statement by saying that much of the challenges or the issues you're dealing with at Disney are no different than what you would find in any other organization, right? Having to forge relationship, recognizing people, coaching people, setting expectation, training people, recruiting the right people. So no matter what industry you're in, no matter what size organization, whether you're Disney or not, you, all the leaders deal with the same issues. And then I think for me, what was important and what made it a big deal to me is when you find a company where you know, it kind of clicks, you have chemistry, you feel comfortable, you can be yourself, you can be your true self, and you feel you can add value. And when that happens, I think, yes, it is a big deal. Fantastic. So is being a Disney leader a big deal? And for you, what does it mean to be a Disney leader? Well, you, you work for an organization that doesn't settle for the status quo, right? There's always this desire to say, can we be better? Can we exceed expectation? You know, that's the, the that's the ordre du jour, as we say in France, the modus operandi, I think you call it. It's, uh, you know, every day you're like, okay, how can we improve on the service or the experience we offer our guests? So there's that aspect to always push the envelope. And then there's the creative side of Disney, which is phenomenal. It's something that you never know what's coming next. And whenever they put something out, there's always something new and something 
which is ahead of its time. And Walt Disney himself has always developed that in the organization and it has stayed within the DNA of the organization. And then the other thing that's special about Disney, I think it feels very much like a family. And once you've worked for Disney, you, you feel like you are one of the relatives, right? And it's funny because Dan and I, we often meet people who worked with Disney decades ago, and they still refer back to their time and they talk fondly about the time they had at Disney. And I think it's because of that sense of family, because of the sheer DNA, or maybe what we call the, the pixie dust that comes with it. And there's this feeling of belonging that you may not find in a lot of other organizations. Yes, even after you leave, we continue to refer to ourselves in first person plural. We are the Disney family, even though yes. we don't work there anymore, but you, it's always in your blood, yes. Yeah, actually, and actually, I, we catch ourselves with Dan often talking about, well, at Disney, this is how we do this. And we just have to remind ourselves, no, we're not involved with Disney. We haven't been involved with Disney in the past three years. So anyway. Always and forever, I say. So given your definition of Disney leadership, would you say that you had a Disney leadership role model who influenced you? I cannot name one person. I don't think any leader is perfect for that matter. I don't care what name you throw at me from today or from history. I don't think there is one person that encapsulates and is the perfect leader. It is something that you keep growing, you keep getting better at. And it's a leadership is a journey, right? There's no, I don't think you ever can be perfect. So I would say I've learned different things from different people. And for me, the, the time where I learned the most possibly was when we opened Disneyland Paris. So I remember among many others, but there was a gentleman named Bill Benson who worked in merchandise and he was a counterpart, an American counterpart that came to Disneyland Paris for the opening. And he, he helped us. He was the counterpart of our director of merchandise. And Bill was a funny guy, had been with Disney for over 20 years, had clearly a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. But whenever there was a problem, we were looking for a solution. Uh, keep in mind, you know, this is 1992. You have maybe five or six different nationalities sitting in the same room. People who had worked for Disney extensively, people who had never set foot in a Disney park. And we're all sitting around a table here and debating what's the best option. And Bill would always be sitting quietly and let everybody kind of take a, a stab at it and come up with ideas. And he had the answer long before we even got to it, but he would let us get it out and debate it so that we would come to the right solution. And I admired that in him because he had that wisdom. He had that experience, but instead of coming in and saying, guys, you know, I'm American. I've worked for Disney for 20 some years. I know the answer to this. This is what you need to do. He would just steer the, the debate to the right solution. And I think it takes diplomacy, finesse, and definitely humility to do this. So I really, he was just awesome at this. He was the perfect partner and advisor for, for us all. The other person that comes to mind for me is at Walt Disney World. I've worked fairly closely with Lise Boyce, who was the head of the buying office when I was in assortment planning. Um, her, her last name now is Hankins. And Liz was very, is a, she's a great people person. When you would talk to her, she would look at you straight in the eyes 
and you felt at that moment that what you had to say was probably the most important thing that she had on her plate, right? You had a undivided 100% attention. And I really love that about her. And the other thing too is she would give you feedback. And I found that sometimes it's something that did not come so readily at Walt Disney World. And Liz was one of the few person would be willing to sit you down and say, hey, Valerie, listen up. You got to think about this because that's going to get you in trouble. And she would be very nice about it. It would not be judgmental. It wasn't the end of the world, but she was really good at giving feedback. So Liz would be my second person. So JB, I gotta I gotta tell you a story about Valerie because I've worked with Valerie in the past and right and in merchandise. And when she tells the story of her role model, Valerie was a role model to me because I was very young in my career in merchandise, and we would do these shop visits. Do you remember these, Valerie, where you oh, would yes. come around to the shop visits? And it's interesting hearing you explain the role model and what you learned from them. Because that's one of the things I looked up to you and admired in you is you would come to these store visits and you would ask us how our merchandise is doing. You would ask us how the cast member is doing. You'd ask us about the business results, but it was all of that. And then you asked, what can we do better? What do you think? How is this performing? How is that? And so it's interesting that you shared that your role model, that you learned that behavior. And then it's, to me, it's just like blows my mind that that is something I saw in you back in those days when I was a young merchandise manager. I was like, holy cow, that's what I've learned from you. So it's really fun to see that come together right here in the show. I love it. Well, thank really you cool. for that. I appreciate, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's the, even if, you're not inclined to do it because it's your personality and it's something you enjoy doing. I'm a people person. I love getting input. I love bouncing ideas of other people, you know? So for, for me, maybe it came naturally, but at the end of the day, it's the right business thing to do. I always say, you know, your front line delivers your bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. They know better than anybody else, what needs to happen, what needs to change, what the guests are saying, what ideas can improve your business. So. Why not ask them that to me, it's such common sense that a leader would want to do that and, and nurture this and facilitate this. Okay, JB, let's take a minute and reflect on what Valerie shared with us. What do you think? She said two things that really got my attention. First, she told this story about Bill Benson and it really pointed out to me that when you feel compelled to push your agenda by saying what's on your mind and you're not waiting to listen to what other people have to say, you're really diminishing yourself as a leader. There, it's such an important technique for every leader to know to invite people to express themselves first, synthesize what they say, and then propose that as a solution. And when you practice this, you raise your stature as a leader. Secondly, I just want to uh, build off of what she said about the company being a place where you have a feeling of belonging. I felt that when I was at Disney, I think it's still very true. I'm very grateful for it. And it goes back to what she said, build those relationships. Those relationships last with you for life. Would you agree with that, Rebecca? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think we would be here today, you, me and Valerie, if it wasn't true. Exactly. And what's your reflection on what Valerie had to say? Ah, as Valerie, said leadership is hard it's a long-term investment and that it's truly all about relationships and connecting with others you know and i really loved her candid people get it and know what they should do but they don't want to do it and they don't want to put in the effort and they want this like easy way to lead and that's not how it works there is no easy way to great leadership it's truly a journey yeah 
Our guest is Valerie Cockrell, and we'll be back in a moment to learn more about her backstory and how she found her way to Disney. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories. I'm Rebecca Morgan. My co-host is J.B. Adams, and our guest is Valerie Cockrell, former leader in Disney retail and merchandise and current leadership coach and partner at Cockrell Consulting. Valerie Cockrell, we want to learn more about your backstory, and that means J.B. wants to analyze your personality. Yes, I do. <laughs> leadership Life Stories presents the Self-Awareness Quiz. Featuring the five-factor model that measures the five personality traits of openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Remember, leadership begins with self-awareness and you can't change your personality as much as you can manage it. So let's take a little time and get to know our guest. Valerie Cockrell, are you ready? Absolutely. Bring it. <laughs> All right. Number one, openness. Do you consider yourself creative or practical? Definitely creative. Number two, conscientiousness. Do you consider yourself disciplined or flexible? Discipline. I like things to be organized and set and scheduled. Number three, extroversion. Do you consider yourself introverted or extroverted? Very extroverted. Number four, agreeableness. Do you consider yourself compliant or challenging? Challenging. Always. <laughs> Number five, neuroticism. Do you consider yourself sensitive or steady? Sensitive. All right, Valerie Cockrell, you said that you were a creative, disciplined, extroverted, challenging, and sensitive leader. Based on this kind of personality, what do you think you're suited for and what do you think you're not suited for? I think I'm suited for, and what I enjoy the most is working with a team on a big project. And I, if I look back at my past, you know, opening Disney in Paris, working on the Millennium Project at Epcot were great project for me. They, they involved a lot of different departments. They were a huge project. You had to be organized. So that fit my profile. And you had to think critically also. So I think that also uh, fits my, my uh, profile. Always going, you know, how are we going to mess this up? How we can do be better? Is this the best we can deliver? You know, so that definitely, you know, is something that's in my wheelhouse. This is where I thrive. The areas where I'm not as comfortable is if you a, you know, individual contributor and you have to get into little detail that's not my cup of tea in fact i i found that out about myself early in my career and i knew to bring people on my team that love that because and that's something i do not like doing and then patience i don't have much patience so any job that would um, involve having to deal with guest relation or anything like this i don't know if i would be suited for this so perfect valerie cockrell thank you for playing self-awareness quiz and it's really great to get to know you well thank you i've never done this series of questions i find it interesting okay let's learn more about your early years where were you born and raised lyon france southeast of france very cool what generation do you identify with gen x tell us about your parents occupations 
my mom did not work for most of my youth and then my dad worked for the french administration can you tell us what the french administration is it's huge it's the public service so it involves everything from government to the utilities companies to school to you know much there's a lot the the public uh, sector is huge in france so that's when we refer to the french administration in french we call it a fonctionnaire so you're part of the functioning of the of the country i guess right siblings in birth order i have just one sister she's seven years older than me excellent and what was your role in the family being the younger sister I was a bit of a troublemaker, but but good trouble, not not necessarily bad trouble. I had some of that, but but primarily good trouble, like you know, challenging things and and trying new thing and sticking my neck out. I guess that's what I was known for. Okay, Valerie, what were some early influences that you think may have shaped your leadership at a young age? And and I guess another way that I could ask this question is, how does being a troublemaker factor into your leadership style? I think, again, when I've talked about troublemaker is, is going out there, discovering things, being curious, you know, kids my age in my teenage years would graduate from school and keep in mind, you know, my generation, people were not traveling as much or expatriating them, themselves as much. And when I was 16 and a half, almost 17, I moved to London. And I went, I did not speak English, and I went there with my 10 words of English, and I had gotten a job as an au pair with a single mom, where she was 28 years old, she had a three-year-old boy, and she needed somebody to babysit her son. And I found her through an agency, went there and learned English. And to me, this that that's what I mean about doing hard things. It wasn't comfortable. In fact, I, I still remember myself in Victoria train station in London with my suitcase and suddenly going, what am I doing? <laughs> but, but I did it anyway. And in retrospect, it's, this is where I learned the most. And I think people have to realize that when things are hard, this is where you learn the most. And this is what you should look forward to and keep a positive attitude. I have a follow-up. What motivates a 16 year old young lady to be an au pair. Did you have other friends your age who were doing that? Absolutely not. I was, I have one sister and 26 first cousins, and I'm the only one who expatriated herself further than 50 miles away. Everybody still lives to this day about 50 miles away from our city. To me, it was just sheer curiosity. It was bizarre because when I look back now, I remember when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, if you'd ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would say, I want to be a flight attendant. And I never pursued you know, that career, but I guess in the back of my mind, there was that realization that the world was huge and there was a lot out there that I had yet to learn about. And I was curious about this. And I decided, I thought, you know, if I want to travel, I'm going to have to speak English, so I better learn it right now and as soon as i graduated from high school i was on my way to london and my my dad was not happy with this because he wanted me to finish my studies number one number two because i was moving in with a family the young woman i referred to she worked in the show business she was a singer songwriter 
and she did uh, background vocals for some famous artists. And my father, when he heard of that, he's like, no, 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 people from the show business, you know, they, they have all kinds of issues and, and uh, said, I don't care, I'm going. And I left. And now that I'm a mom of three, I'm like, what were my parents thinking that they let me go there? <laughs> But it was the best. I stayed there a year and a half in London. And then I studied at the same time. I got my proficiency in English. And then after a year and a half, my parents finally put their foot down and said, now you got to come back to France and you have to finish your studies and then you can do whatever you want. But that decision, that single decision set the course of my entire life. Valerie, let's learn about how you found your way to Disney and what turning point got you there. Well, that decision to go to London helped me obviously learn English. And then I went back to France, finished my studies, and my English was far better than most kids who had just graduated from, from school in France. And my English teacher said to me, Disney comes to Paris every year and they recruit people to work in the French pavilion at Epcot. I had no idea what a Disney theme park looked like. I had no idea what Epcot was, much less the French pavilion. But I thought, hey, you know, let's give it a shot. I took the train, went to Paris, showed up for the interviews, and I was selected for the fellowship program. Mm -hmm. So the World Showcase Fellowship Program uh, was kind of an, a mini ambassador program. So you would get to work in your pavilion for one year, but you worked in different departments. So we worked in merchandise, in attraction, in food and beverage. We also helped out in entertainment and different areas, guest relations. And then we worked four days a week. The fifth day was dedicating to learning about other cultures of World Showcase and American culture. And then we also would go to American schools. We went to court to see a trial. We visited jails. We visited a studio, a news studios when they broadcasted the news live. We would do a lot of this for us to learn about the, the American culture. And towards the end of the program, they took us to Washington, D.C. We learned a lot about American history. So it was an incredible program. And, and they would pick five people of each of the pavilions to participate in this program. So there was about 50 of us at the time. And to this day, we're still in touch. I have friends all around the world from this program. And, um, and we still see each other and we still talk and share our life stories. So it's fun. Epcot brings people together. I had a very similar experience as, a, as an intern at Epcot. So Valerie, we heard about your personality. We heard about your early years and we heard how you found your way to Disney. The question that rounds out this segment is, is very simple. Do you believe that leaders are born or made? It's a tough question, but I think leaders are made. I think some people, you know, they have a bit of a head start. They, they have some qualities that serves them well to become a leader. But I think in general, if you prepare to work hard at it, you can develop your skills and you can be a better leader and you can learn to be a leader. But there's two things. You have to be prepared to work at it really hard and you have to have self-awareness. Because if you have self-awareness, you understand where you have shortcomings. And when you understand your shortcomings, you understand that you can bring people on your team or around you that will complement those shortcomings. If you're not willing to work hard and if you don't have self-awareness, it's going to be an uphill battle. But if you are willing to put in the work, I think everybody has a shot at it. 
Hey, JB, I want to get your thoughts on what Valerie just shared. Okay, what do you have? Um, I love hearing stories about risk-taking and courage, and this has all of that. She said, when things are hard, that's when you learn the most. When things are hard, that's when you learn the most. So this is my message to the listeners. When things are hard, you could run away and hide. You could complain and blame, which is what many people do. Or you could take an honest look at yourself and the situation and decide, this is what I want to learn from it. And I agree with Valerie Cockrell. Don't think that you're powerless in a challenging situation. Decide what you can do. Use it to make yourself better and stronger and faster. What did you think of what Valerie Cockrell said? Okay, 16, 17 years old, moving to London to be an au pair, speaking just a few words of English. You know, I got to tell you, here I thought I was a badass leaving my small town at 21 to move to Florida. You know, she had this dream and was going after it. And I love hearing how that experience led to basically us all being here together right now. So my takeaway was stay curious and never stop learning and growing. Just never. Don't stop. And if you don't mind my saying so, Valerie Cockrell out badassed you. <laughs> oh my gosh. So many <laughs> levels. So many levels. <laughs> she out badass all of us. Um, <laughs> inspiring like no lie right seriously our guest is valerie cockrell and when we come back from the break we're going to hear her thoughts on disney leadership across cultures so please stay with us welcome back to leadership life stories i'm rebecca morgan my co-host is jb adams and our guest is valerie cockrell former disney leader and current partner at cockrell consulting in a moment, we are going to get your perspective on the evolution of Disney leadership over time. But before we do that. That's the sound of the train whistle. That means it's time to play Walt Disney World Insider Free Association. Yay! The game where there are no right answers, no wrong answers. There are no winners, no losers, and there are no prizes. All right, to play the game, we provide you with a series of prompts about your Walt Disney World experience, and for each one, you say the very first thing that pops into your head. Valerie Cockrell, are you ready to play? I am ready. Yes. <laughs> okay, first up, favorite Disney character? Edna Mood. Ooh. She's Pixar, does that count? Yes. yes. Okay. Love her. Favorite Walt Disney World theme park? Oh, it's gotta be Epcot. Of course. Favorite Walt Disney World resort? I like Wilderness Lodge. I do too. Favorite attraction that's still operating? Rock and Roller Coaster. And I have to add, I got to ride it with Steven... Um, what? Steven Tyler. Aerosmith. Yeah, yes, he was <laughs> He was there with his girlfriend and we were sitting right behind him. And by the time we got out, I don't know how the word had gotten out that he was there. And there was like hundreds and hundreds of fans outside taking pictures of him. So uh, it was kind oh, of funny. But... That's a cool experience. I would have <laughs> lost my mind. Okay. Favorite attraction no longer operating? I like the Circle Vision American Journey in, in the Magic Kingdom. For some reason, that movie would get tears out of my eyes. Beautiful. Favorite restaurant and meal? Yes, I would have to go with Flying Fish. They have a potato-wrapped snapper on the bed of leeks with a Chardonnay sauce, and they have a terrific chocolate lava cake. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Now As I'm you hungry. can tell, I've had that meal many times. 
She has. I'll have my usual. Okay. Valerie Cockrell, thank you for participating in Walt Disney World Insider Free Association. You're very welcome. <laughs> okay, Valerie, so we want to get your perspective on Disney leadership and how it's evolved and how Disney leadership is supported by the company. So from your point of view, how did you witness Disney leadership styles evolve over time? Well, there was a huge difference from what I experienced in, at the beginning in 87, 88 was very much a top-down kind of leadership. And then 91, when I went back to Walt Disney World and, and trained for the opening of Disneyland Paris, and people like me who grew up quickly through the opening of Disneyland Paris, we were kind of thrown into the, the, the pit and with very little leadership training per se. So we kind of learned on the job and we learned the hard way at times, you know, we were far from perfect. So it was refreshing when in the nineties, there was this big transition into maybe a flatter organization. They finally came with a leadership training and suddenly what I think a lot of us sense was the right thing to do. It just formalized this and we had training that uh, really helped us you know, transitioning and getting 360 degrees and suddenly it was more inclusive. It was uh, empowering people. It was about the behaviors. It wasn't so much about the results. I think a lot of efforts were put into teaching the appropriate leadership behaviors to leaders. And uh, I think a lot of us learned a lot through those, I would say, mid to, to late 90s. I want to go back to something that you said when you were in your first leadership role, you learned things the hard way. What did that feel like? Where did you go for help? Well, we had, I'll tell you, there's a specific thing I'm thinking about. At the time I was area manager of Festival Disney in France, which is a smaller version of Disney Springs, right? And I had about, I would say 100, 120 cast members, something like this. And I had just been promoted from a retail manager to area manager. So suddenly I had maybe five or six leaders reporting to me and I did not understand the difference between managing and leading. And I still thought, even though my area of responsibility was getting a lot bigger, that I had to elevate my thinking and let people do their job. And what I was doing was micromanaging. So I remember we had a 360 degree survey for the first time. And I love my team. I thought they were great. And I thought of myself, I'm, you know, maybe being a good leader for them. Well, when the survey came back, <laughs> it was an eye-opening experience. And there were several things. First of all, a lot of them said, Valerie doesn't trust us. And I was baffled until I realized, yeah, I was micromanaging and I was just, you know, demonstrating that I had very little trust in their decision-making. So that was one of the, the thing that they talked about. The second thing they talked about was Valerie has so many ideas talking about creative. Sometimes it, it doesn't serve you well because I had so many ideas and things I wanted to change and improve upon that I was starting dozens of projects at the same time and people's heads were spinning and, and they didn't know, you know, which one's the priority. We can't do it all. And I was impatient and I wanted results and I wanted to put my stamp on the operation very quickly, which was a big mistake. And then last but not least, a lot of people said Valerie doesn't respect balance between our personal life and our professional life. And I couldn't figure out why they were 
saying this because I remember I would work long hours, but I was really cool with them leaving on time. But it never occurred to me at six o'clock every day to tell my my direct report, hey, it's six o'clock, go home, go spend some time with your family. You shouldn't be here anymore. So when you work in an organization where the leader stays until 8 p.m. every day and is the first one in and the last one out, most people think, oh, I have to do the same as, as she's doing because like that, she's going to think a lot of me and, mm -hmm. and that's how I'm going to get promoted, uh, which was, it was never my intent. I just had no idea of the message that my behaviors was projecting to my direct reports. All I can say is that everyone remembers the first time that they get 360 degree feedback. Yeah. Valerie, I'm really curious on the difference between leadership because you've led in France and you've been a leader here in the US. What are the cultural differences of leadership? Oh, they're huge, <laughs> which I learned again. I learned the hard way, um, you know, in French culture and European culture in general, you get feedback very directly. It's very candid, very direct. It can be very brutal. And for instance, I remember presenting a project to the vice president of merchandise in France, and he looked at me and said, no, this is never going to work. You got to start from scratch. Come back in a week with a better proposal. And I guess when you're French, you're kind of used to this. You, you half expect it. You're like, okay, fine. You don't take it personally. You go back and start over. And then when I moved to the US, here I am at Walt Disney World, and I'm tempted to give out the same kind of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, this was not very well received. And I tended to be, you know, critical of suggestions or sometimes my timing wasn't right. So that's something Lee's boys taught me. I remember once there was a buyer for Epcot who made a presentation and there was a little thing that I needed from this buyer that I had been requesting for a while and she had not taken care of it. So she does this big presentation. It's a shining moment. And at the end of that, I'm standing next to this buyer and I'm telling her, I said, can you please take care of this thing that I needed for the Norwegian pavilion? And Liz was standing right there next to me. She didn't say anything right there and then. And then she said, on your way out, Valerie, can you swing by my office? And I said, sure. So I went to her, Liz's office on my way out and she said, Valerie, I get it. You're frustrated. That thing you need for Norway, you've been asking for it. But she said, this is her shining moment. Did you really have to say that at that moment? You know? So that's the kind of thing that I had to learn to adapt. And I don't know if it's an American thing or if it's a Walt Disney World thing, mm -hmm. but you have to be more subtle with your comments. You have to make sure you don't offend people. You have to make sure you use some diplomacy when you give feedback. It's a totally different approach. And also the other part of this is in the same vein, I noticed that when people like if an executive was telling you, hey, Valerie, have you thought about this? don't dismiss it what they're actually telling you is you should definitely do this and i didn't understand this difference and i remember again and i think again it may have been liz boyce who said valerie when the executive vp of merchandise tells you about this that means you need to do it and i said well why wouldn't she say so she said well that's not the way we operate here and for me that was a huge difference between disney and paris and Walt disney world having to adapt to that
Okay, JB, let's reflect on what Valerie just shared about the evolution of Disney leadership. What do you think? The thing that I that I liked hearing about was how leaders respond when they get 360 degree feedback. And particularly when that feedback hurts, I would just like to say to all the leaders out there receiving 360 degree feedback, welcome to the club. It hurts and let it hurt. Leadership is about self-awareness and listening. And the longer you do it, the better you get at it. But you have to take care and you have to take steps to adapt. What did you think about what she said? Well, my first reaction is, gosh, I want to be, I want to be French. I, I, I love the directness, especially when it comes from a place of caring and really caring for that person. And I think that's what's so important. So when we get feedback, is it a place of um, really wanting someone to get better and being open to that? Or is it out to just get someone? So I think it comes down to intent. But JB, let me ask you about feedback. Okay, sure. Do you think all feedback is beneficial? No, I don't. Ooh, Do you want okay, to know why? Yes, I want to know why. The feedback is only beneficial when it's received. So think of your feedback as a gift. I like to give feedback with gift wrapping. In other words, what that means is here's my message and I packaged it in a way such that you will open it and accept it because I care about you. But sometimes feedback is delivered in a crappy way. And then even if there is a nugget of truth in there, even if there is something really helpful or useful, it, it is not received and therefore it is not beneficial because of the way you presented it. JB, I love that about it being packaged as a gift. Now we've all heard feedback as a gift and I'll be honest, I roll my eyes. I roll my eyes at it because some days I want to be like, you know what, in this gift is what I'm going to return. Thank you very much. <laughs> But how you said it, that it really comes down to the packaging. And it comes back to what Valerie said. It's all about relationships. For you to be able to care and deliver feedback that will be effective, you have to put the time in. And that's what we talked about earlier. It's a long-term investment. It's a long-term investment in people. And so, Valerie Cockrell, we believe in your message. Yes. This brings us to the end of part one of a two-part interview with Valerie Cockrell. In our next episode, we're going to hear her thoughts on how it feels to be a leader in a company where you also have a well-known last name. And she'll also share her best leadership advice. So please tune in and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find Leadership Life Stories and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Leadership Life Stories was created by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell. Today's episode was co-hosted by Rebecca Morgan and J.B. Adams. Sound design by Michael Orlowski. Mixing and editing by Manny Simone. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow us at Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform. This is J.B. Adams. And until next time, remember, if you can dream it, you can do it.